Hey everyone, this is Brian Ferguson. If you're listening to this, then I know you enjoy the Bumps and Thumps podcast. In order to continue to get the guests on and improve our podcast, we need support from listeners like you. That financial support helps us continue to do the podcast and get guests on that we normally would not be able to get on the show. Please go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dot Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N and the number three after and click on the support button. There will be options there for you to make a monthly contribution. With your contribution, we can continue to conduct the podcast and ask more well-known wrestlers from the past and present that require financial compensation to be on the podcast. Again, please go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dot Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N and the number three and click on the support button. Thank you for listening to the podcast and thank you for your support. Welcome back to another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. Today we have Mr. George Shire, the wrestling historian. Like I've said before, if he don't know it, he don't have it on hand, it isn't fact. George, we're going to talk about the great Blackjack Lanza today. Uh, he recently he passed away a few days back. Um, you know, he, he was a great wrestler. Uh, you've had interactions with him. Let's, let's talk about it a little bit. And uh, how are you doing, by the way? Well, I'm doing great. You know, the, the funny thing, Brian, is, is that uh, in the past four, five, six, seven years, it seems like it's a steady diet of, oh, boy, so-and-so died. Oh, boy, we lost another one today. I, I tell that to my wife all the time. I say, well, I lost another family member, you know. Hmm. Um, what it really is, is it's kind of a sobering uh, effect because we realize all these guys are old, older, old, you know, yeah. Jack Lanza was 86. Now I'm sitting here talking to you and I'm 70. So 86 doesn't look so old, but <laughs> bottom line is, you know, as, as we age, we realize that, you know, that road in front of us is a little bit shorter than that one that's behind us that yeah. we've traveled. In. And so, we learn to accept that uh, life is death. It'll reach us all eventually. And, but the wrestlers, you know, these, these were guys that, oh boy, you know, I, when you followed uh, wrestling as long as I have mm-hmm. and started watching it when I was, you know, seven, eight years old. So that goes back a lot of years. Um, I've seen them all. And, yeah. you know, you're right. A lot of them you had interaction with, a lot of them became personal friends. And when they take that uh, that trip up to the big ring in the sky, it's uh, it's a little sobering. Yeah. And Lanza, uh, boy, for the last maybe half a dozen or more years, he's pretty much been, from all accounts I've heard from guys like Jim Brunzel and Greg Gagne and a few others, uh, pretty much a recluse. He he pretty much just walked away from the okay. business and really didn't, uh, you know, get together with anybody um, after he left the uh, WWE. Mm-hmm. And uh, at, that's at the end of his career. But he was a, uh, you know, I'm sure most people know this. You could see him every once in a while if you watched uh, WWE wrestling on TV and behind the scenes or Every once in a while in some ring interaction, you'd see him, you know, kind of in the background. He was a road agent for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, to explain that to people, back in, uh, well, usually any era of wrestling, they usually had a wrestler that would go on the whatever road trip they were on, whatever city they were going to. They had one wrestler that would sort of be the guy that was in charge, yeah. if that makes sense. You know, the one that was going to handle the payout that night for the boys or, uh, but, you know, and 
a lot of times it might be the same guy. In in the WWF, when they were still WWF, when they took over the world in, in 1984, yeah. they came up with this big concept of having road agents. And they had a bunch of guys. Some of them were some near the end of their career wrestlers or actually retired wrestlers, which Lanza became at that point in time. He pretty much his active career in-ring career ended in the uh, the late 80s, mid 80s. Mm-hmm. And so he went with Vince McMahon as a road agent. He was one of those guys that would, you know, be behind the scenes, calling the shots, maybe sometimes giving the guys the finishes for the matches or whatever they were doing, all that stuff. But also as a road agent, they're there to make sure the guys are being good, you know, that they're not going out and getting themselves into trouble. And so you call it a, a modified babysitter, but uh, Jack was one of those guys. Uh, Grizzly Smith was one of those guys of the Kentuckians fame. Yeah. And uh, he was one of those guys for a few years with Vince. And uh, there were others. I think Rene Goulet did it too with him for yeah. a while. Uh, so there, there were, that's what their role was. And that's what Jack did up until, I want to say five or six years ago. And I think he was finished with McMahon. And, uh, but I do think that McMahon always kept him sort of under contract so that yeah. the guys weren't able to go out and, and do different things basically without their, you know, his approval. Uh, Ricky Steamboat falls into that category. He, yeah. He's not wrestled and done anything with Vince forever, but he's, he's there. So that's yeah. kind of the end of, of Jack Lanza. Yeah. I can remember as a kid, black Jack and the Heaton family. Yeah. And, uh, I tell you, I just couldn't stand him. him he did and his Duncan. job well. Him and Duncan. Yeah. When they were the, and I was a little kid then. I was probably five, six years old when those yeah. guys. Well, that would were, have been, that would have been in the mid seventies. So. Right. Yeah. I was, I was five, six years old. They were world tag team champions. And, you know, I just remember them going in, beating everybody up. Uh, cheating every way they could. No way. Come on. And, but, <laughs> you know, that that's what I, you know, now I loved it. At the time, I couldn't stand it. I was a little kid. I always wanted the other team, you know, the good team to win uh, when they were winning. And uh, it, it his move with the, the you know, going to his, the guy's temple with his knuckle, the, I, I believe it was a brain buster, if yeah, I remember I, right. And I'm pretty sure that's what he called it. And, you know, he was just, you wanted to watch him every week. Even yeah. though you hated him, you wanted to watch him because you knew something was going to happen that was going to excite you uh, to come back. Whether he was with Bobby Heenan, whether he was with uh, Black Jack Mulligan when they were the Black Jacks and the WWF. Yeah. Wherever he was, he stood out. Yeah. And he could talk and he could beat people up in the ring. You know, the thing about Jack Lanza, uh, he was one of the fortunate wrestlers in that he really didn't have to travel to a lot of territories. He was fairly, fairly lucky in that he was a Minneapolis native. He grew okay. up in Minneapolis. He graduated from De La Salle School, and he was uh, a local athlete. Uh, his real name, uh, you know, it's kind of funny, uh, probably never, ever revealed this, but his real name was John Lanzo, Lanzo, L-A-N-Z-O. Oh, okay. John Lanzo, or Lanzo. And um, when he... Went to Vern, and this goes back into the very early 60s. Mm-hmm. He went to Vern. And of course, you know, Vern, we've, we've talked about this. Vern Gagne always wanted amateur wrestling. He wanted actual wrestlers. Yeah. And he scouted. Vern, you know, he'll never get the credit he really deserves on this because he would scout the schools, the high schools and the colleges 
and he wouldn't just do it here. He would be in Iowa. He, he'd be in Michigan. He, he'd do it from Florida. He always tried to bring these guys in that uh, he felt could be, as we always say, a wrestler first, a character second. Yeah. And if they could, if they could be a wrestler, that that's what Vern wanted. So Jack had had some some amateur wrestling, you know, at school, and and he got together with Vern. Mm-hmm. Vern trained him. So there's one of the. I think I said this. You know, I've said this to other people. I don't know if I have to you, but Greg Gagne and I sat down one time here a few years ago, and we tried to come up with a list of wrestlers. Of course, Greg's memory isn't as good as mine. No offense, Greg. <laughs> but, you know, for every one that Greg might remember, I remember six, you know, and that's there just the go. way it is. Yeah. And then there'll be a couple that Greg wants to throw in there that weren't really trained by Vern, but yeah. I don't know. But <laughs> seriously, uh, Vern trained about 150 guys over oh, yeah. the course of his wrestling career. Yeah. Now, Vern started wrestling in 1949 was his first pro match. And during the 50s, he was already, not, you know, he didn't really have the physical training camp like he did later years. Yeah. He'd get together out at his barn and, you mm-hmm. know, have a dozen guys come out and try out and that sort of thing. But he would latch on to somebody and he'd work with them. And few people know this, but Dick the Bruiser, of all people, Vern Gagne gave Dick the Bruiser his earliest training for the pro ranks. I didn't know that, see. And Bruiser, you know, from uh, Indiana, you know, he was an Indiana native and around Michigan and that sort of thing and got into football. Bruiser was a brawler. I mean, he was more the, uh, you know, the muscle and tough guy. But Vern gave him his basics. And when Bruiser made his debut into the business in 1954, um, it was Vern Gagne that behind the scenes had prepared him for it. So Vern was doing that a lot. And Jack Lanza in the early 60s, he, uh, he went to Vern. Vern worked with him. And when he made his earliest matches debut in the early AWA. Now we're talking the very early sixties. Jack was on a lot of the cards in a opening match or a low preliminary match role. Uh, He had a lot of people that he lost to, or you could say Jack put him over or, you know, whoever, because he he wasn't the star at that point. He was learning and, and, but he was one of those guys in those days that was a baby face popular, good-looking guy. And he used to come to the ring. And I will tell you this, in the wrestling programs, the arena programs, Mm -hmm. they would bill Jack Lanza. That's all he was in those days. Yeah. They would bill him as the Italian champion. Now, (laughs) he never had that title officially, but, you know, for Back in those days, who was going to verify it, you know? Right. So the closest he came to probably, you know, Italy was having a plate of spaghetti. I don't know. <laughs> but he uh, he was, he was, but he would come to the ring and they, he would wear a bright red robe. Mm-hmm. A lot of the baby faces in that era. The Luthezes and Vern Gagne's and Pat O'Connor's and all these guys, they would come to the ring with a towel around their neck, usually white, and a, a, a robe. Uh, do their introductions, take their robes off, and do their wrestling. Well, that's what Lanza did. He, he had a red robe, and he was introduced. Um, I forget what his weight was, what they tell him he was, but, you know, 225 pounds or something, and out of Minneapolis, that's where he was from. And uh, I remember him saying the Italian champion, Jack Lanza. Huh. And that would be his, that would be his stick. So for the first couple of years, yeah. uh, he was simply just Jack Lanza. Always popular, yeah. always in the babyface role. And, and of course, in those days, he wasn't winning. So you didn't hear a lot from him on the bike or anything like that. He wasn't one of those guys that were 
getting TV airtime that way. Yeah. We get to the mid 60s and he is uh, coming up with a gimmick, the cowboy. And he's got the white cowboy hat, you know, white signifies good and pure. You know, in the old West days, the black, the black hats and the, the white hats, good guy, bad guy in cowboy yeah. land. So yeah. he had uh, the white cowboy hat and he'd wear a pair of, for his trunks, they were a pair of blue jeans, real blue jeans, cut off, <laughs> just like, like the, the length of a trunk, the wrestling trunks. And then yeah. they had the little rim that he folded up on them, you know, around the, around the legs. And that's what he wore into the ring. And he got a pair of cowboy boots and he was now cowboy Jack Lanza. And they would introduce him from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, now you had fans, you know, in that era where they, some of them may not even remember that they'd seen him two years earlier as Jack Lanza from Minneapolis. Yeah. But, you know, he'd be off the cards for a while and, but very popular as Cowboy Jack Lanza. And he, uh, he, had a, he had a good run in the AWA yeah. for uh, about a two and a half, three year period. Cause uh, it wasn't until 67 when he left the territory for a while. So he was Cowboy Jack, he'd usually be in preliminary matches. But by the time we got to 65 and 66, he was actually in the semifinals matches right before the main event. Okay. And he ended up a lot in tag team matches. He would be teamed with some of the, uh, one of the other popular baby faces of the, of that time period. So mm -hmm. there are a lot of matches where he was teamed with Rene Goulet, who was just a young French star at that point in his career. Uh, he was teamed with, uh, did a lot of teaming actually, it was a fun team was with Billy Red Cloud. So oh. he had a cowboy and an Indian. And <laughs> there you go. Right. And, it, you know, can't get more Americana than that. Right. So, but Billy Red Cloud there again, another Vern Gagne trainee from the fifties. Uh, his real name was Bill Wright. W okay. W R I G H T Bill Wright. And he had wrestled as Bill Wright for up until 1964 when he actually did, they had it on All-Star Wrestling on TV. He did a, a ceremony where he was from the White Earth Indian Reservation and he became a full-fledged oh, wow. uh, Indian. And that's what he wrestled as from going forward. He was Billy Red Cloud. So he and Lanza, they teamed off. I can remember matches with Lanza with different partners against Larry Hennig and Harley Race, when Hennig and Race were just gaining their traction in 64, yeah. 65. And in 65, when Hennig and Race won the championship, uh, Lanza was often one of their challengers. If it wasn't, if Hennig and Race weren't going against Crusher and Bruiser or something like that, yeah, uh, maybe sometimes they'd have the title match. Mad Dog, Mad Dog was champion during yeah. that time period, AWA champion. And so if Mad Dog was in the top match, Hennig and Race would be second, maybe defending their title. And Lanza many times was one of their opponents. Okay. With a partner. We had uh, Reggie Parks with him. Wilbur Snyder teamed with him. Uh, Dale Lewis teamed with him. And I mentioned Rene Goulet and Billy Redcloud. Another partner that he had uh, for a couple matches against Hennigan Race was uh, a guy named Larry Shane, C-H-E-N-E. -E. And Larry Shane was uh, very popular out of Michigan. They called him Leaping Larry Shane because he was one of these high flyers, acrobatic type guys, very fast. Yeah. And uh, one memorable story that I remember about Larry Shane teaming with Jack Lanza is... Um, they had had one match with Hennig and Race. And Lanza and Shane had, you know, according to the program and the fans showing that they, they could beat them. They got to have another chance, you know, yeah. to, to get a chance at the, at the, at this point, Hennig and Race were climbing to the championship. They weren't champs yet. 
And so Shane and Lanza were going to get another match. Well, it was, they were running on uh, Saturday nights at that point in time in 1964, the later half of 64. And so the Tuesday before the Saturday night card, the programs were already printed, the arena programs. And the television show, of course, is announcing that Larry Shane and Jack Lanza, and he was Cowboy Jack at that point, mm-hmm. were going to get another shot at the undefeated Hennigan race. Well, that Tuesday before, uh, Larry Shane was flying in, or, and I say flying, he was driving, but he was flying because Larry yeah. Shane was known for being one of these guys that had to do 100 miles an hour whenever he was behind the wheel. Mm-hmm. Well, he had gotten a speeding ticket before driving to Minneapolis and he had gotten the speeding ticket, continued on his trek to Minneapolis. And he was again, speeding, lost control of his car and was killed. And the speeding ticket ticket was on the dashboard of the car. So we get this announcement that Larry Shane has been killed and that a, a uh, suitable uh, replacement will be made for, Jack Lanza to go against Hennig and race. And it was Rene Goulet that stepped in as the okay. partner of that. But that was the that was the end. They were giving uh at that point in time, they were, you know, with every good heel team, tag team, you had to have a, a couple of good babyface teams to oppose them. Yeah. And Lanza and Shane at that point in time were um, kind of groomed, being groomed for that. So that ended that, but he was Cowboy Jack during that time period. So now I'll be quiet for a second. And you, well, I was going to say uh, the next question or whatever you know. I so you know he goes into the mid sixties as Cowboy Jack. Let's talk about when he transformed into Black Jack Lanza, the handlebar mustache. Uh, the the black attire. Who came up with it? I'm sure it was Jack. I don't. I'm not sure. Uh, you're the historian, so I'm, I know you're gonna. You know the facts. And the, go ahead with that, please. Well, being a very popular babyface that he was, and he was one of those guys that when you had him on a card. I always like to say that he's in that elite group of wrestlers that when they're on a card, they make the card better because they're on it. Yeah. So as a baby face, he was always a fine addition. You knew that he didn't always win, but he didn't always lose either. And Mm -hmm. he always gave a good account of himself and he was very popular with the fans. So he's also one of the fortunate guys that he was able to make this transformation from a baby to a heel. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's always been an art because there are wrestlers through the decades that there's no way they can be a heel. They're just, they're just the fans don't buy them as a heel. They're, they're a good guy or they don't want to be a heel and yeah. they want to be popular. The reverse is also true. I would point out that there are also wrestlers that are lousy as a baby face. I mean, they stink. Yeah. Because they've got no charisma or whatever it is, but somehow uh, you can transform them into this heel and their persona comes out. Now mm-hmm. I'm going to switch gears a second and give you a good example of that. And okay. we'll go back to Jack. All right. There was a guy and you'll know it right away. When I say it, there was a guy from Nebraska Named Jim Rashke. Yeah. Okay. So great amateur champ, great amateur wrestler out of Nebraska. Yeah. Jim Rashke gets his pro wrestling training from Vern Gagne. Mm-hmm. And he debuts. And on his earliest AWA cards and a couple of times that he actually came out, talked on the microphone with uh, Marty O'Neill. Oh my gosh, was Jim Rashke boring. (laughs) Very low key. You you could hardly hear him talk. He he was unable to put a sentence together, I swear. And, you know, 
in order to watch him, he had to pop some no-dos and have a couple cups of coffee because you're going to go to sleep. That's how bad he was. Yeah. So he transforms into, along with coaching from Mad Dog Vashon, to the German Baron von Raschke. Now, we know how effective Baron von Raschke was from 1967 through about 1980 as a heel. German. And he created this somewhat German accent. And he was very, uh, what do I want to say? Very mobile on on his interviews yeah and you you enjoyed watching and as a heel you hated him yes so there's one of those things where if he would have stayed and 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 i love jim rashke and he's one of our friends Mm -hmm. uh he's the greatest guy in the world and he'd be the first one to tell you that you know he was boring as jim (laughs) rashke but He's one of those guys that I, I honestly believe that had he stayed Jim Rashke in the business, he probably would have been out of the business in a, a year or two and have been doing something else. Yeah. So he found that niche. Now, we know that later on, and I know we're digressing here talking about the Baron, but in the mid or the uh, very early 80s, when he came back to Minnesota here, AWA, Yeah. They brought him back as a baby face and he became the Baron as a, as a baby. Uh, He was kind of playing the same character, but he got a lot lot more cartoonish because he was getting older, not able to do a lot of the stuff anymore. And so he became more of a cartoon figure. He was still popular with the fans because he was Baron Von Maschke. So anyway, back to Jack. So Jack hooked up with Bobby Heenan and Jack wanted to try the heel route because he realized that he really wasn't going anywhere as, you know, the mid card Jack Lanza or cowboy Jack and Heenan worked with him a little bit. You know, Heenan could make you a heel right away just by hanging with with Heenan. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Jack Lanza was in a tag team match with Wilbur Snyder and you don't get more popular than Wilbur. By the way, Wilbur Snyder is one of those uh, rare guys that never switched. He was a baby his entire career. Okay. And he, uh, and he was good at, it. I mean, he was like Vern Gagne. He was at the top of the cards and you could always count on Wilbur to try to take care of one of those, those bullies out there. So they got Jack and, and uh, Wilbur together and Bobby Heenan was kind of floating around in the ring and Cowboy Jack turned on Wilbur Snyder. Oh my God. Oh, how does this Jack, what is wrong with you? Oh my gosh. You know, yeah. and Jack, you know, comes out with, I'm tired of tired of being a, a stepping stone for every other wrestler. I'm tired of getting punched first. I'm tired of getting beat up. Now I'm going to do the kicking and the stomping and the, and I'm going to, you know, climb to the top. And he's got Bobby Heenan as his mouthpiece. So that's really where it came out. And that, that took place in Chicago. Bruiser or uh, Lanza spent a lot of time in the Bruiser's uh, WWA group. Yeah. And he ended up being Bruiser's champion for uh, actually it was close to a couple of years. He won the he won the uh, WWA title from Wilbur Snyder. They had a series of grudge matches. You know, Wilbur had to get even for this <laughs> unexpected yeah. turn. And, you know, I'm hoping I could show him the error in his ways, but it, it didn't happen. Yeah. But he actually won the WWA title from Wilbur. And that, I believe, was in December of uh, 67. So that would have been shortly after his turn to, to heal. And he held it for a couple of years. He was champion until December of seven of uh, 69. So he had a good run in the WWA as the top, the top guy is WWA champion. And then he lost it to the bruiser, which makes sense because it was the bruiser's territory. Yeah. (laughs) So of course people didn't know that in those days. Right. They didn't know, you know, they didn't know that Snyder and bruiser were the, 
were the bosses and the owners. Yeah. And uh, but Bruiser took it from him. And so it was in 19 uh, late 1969 when now Cowboy Jack Lanza from the AWA has been gone for a couple years. You know, fans, we always say they were cyclical in that there were fans that would go to the matches for a year and then they just quit going. Life got in the way. They moved on. They got married. They left out, whatever, you know. Yeah. And so a lot of these people had already forgotten Cowboy Jack. Well, they started announcing that uh, they did announce it in the programs that Cowboy Jack Lanza has taken the, the heel turn and uh, he's going to come to the AWA. Oh, wow. So we got him here with Bobby Heenan. And that was uh, the second time that Heenan had been through our territory that because he had been here previously a couple years ago for mm -hmm. a short run with uh, Larry Hennig and Harley Race at the end of their tag team run. And then very, very briefly, he managed uh, he managed Harley Race when Harley was a single after okay. Larry Hennig was hurt with his broken leg. So Heenan was here and we had Lanza and that was, it was really new. And like you say, he, he had that whole new look, that thick black handlebar mustache. And he had the sideburns that came down the black hat, yeah, black outfit, black boots, big old black trunks now with a white mule shoe. Yeah. A horseshoe, a, horseshoe, a white yeah. horseshoe on the, yeah. on the, on the, on the butt. Yeah. And, uh, with one of the butt cheeks. So <laughs> yeah. he, uh, well, that's where it was. I know. Yeah. No, it's just the so way he said it, it was funny. You, uh, but he, he got, he got a mega push from Vern. And again, Vern took care of him because he was one of Vern's students and yeah. he was a hometown boy, which they didn't promote anymore. Back then, <clears throat> nobody would have guessed that that was John Lonzo from De La Salle High School. Right. You know, that, yeah. <clears throat> this was now Blackjack Lanza. There was no yeah. connection. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, now he was billed as, uh, uh, as Cowboy Jack. He was from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And now as uh, Black Jack, he was from Santa Fe, New Mexico. Santa Fe. So, and a lot of times Laredo, Texas, they would bill him out. Yeah. Had to have a cowboy town, I guess. But uh, <laughs> yeah. he had a good run here. Yeah. And uh, he ended up, Going all the way to, in 1970, he was given the nod to be the guy to unmask Dr. X, oh. which was monumental because Dr. Yeah. X was, end, it was ending his three-year stay with the AWA. He had come here in August of 87, of, uh, August of 67. Mm-hmm. And in August of 70, that was when he was done. He had told Vern in June of that year that he wanted to work towards leaving the territory for a year. Yeah. He was going to go on his world tour with his family, which he did, by the way, as the destroyer, Dr. Okay. Rex did. And, uh, but Jack Lanza was one of the wrestlers. They had Dr. X unmasked in a couple of different AWA cities in a couple of the towns, Paul diamond was the one that unmasked him. Okay. In a couple of the other towns, it was Jack Lanza. Um, but here in the cities, we had a unique situation because in uh, July of 70, Bobby Heenan pulled a coup. He was bragging that he had teamed up, Blackjack Lanza with Dr. X. <laughs> and they were going to, uh, they were on a match on TV, a tag team match. And during the match, they mixed, messed up some of their signals and Lanza and Heenan turned on Dr. X. Oh, Beat him up surprise. on TV, double teamed him. <laughs> and of course, Dick had to get revenge. Yeah. So this put what this was doing, and this is where the promoting comes in. A lot of times people would never think of this, but Dr. X had been our top heel for three years. Okay. So Lanza is now the new villain, the heir apparent, and Doc is leaving. Yeah. 
So Vern is coming up with a new heel, and it's going to be up to the old heel to put him over. And so they beat up Doc on TV. <clears throat> and this was in the days when wrestling used to be on from 6 to 7.30 on Saturday nights, and it would be live on the arena nights. So we had a card coming up in Minneapolis right after the TV show. Mm-hmm. The show would run till 7.30. The arena matches would start at 9 o'clock. Usually it was a little later than 9, but 9 was the announced time. Well, Lanza and uh, Dr. X, they have this falling out. Doc is beat up, double teamed. He comes running out on TV. Now that the scheduled main event for that night in Minneapolis, I'm going to make sure that I hang on here. I got to get that one right. They get the facts out. There he is. George Shire getting the book. See, folks, that's what I'm telling you. If you're watching this, he's getting his book out. Or if you're listening... I want to. Uh, this is this is what I like about George. He doesn't assume if he don't know it, he'll, he'll look it up right there and then in his book. You're too not on the internet. You notice he's not on the, he's not on the internet because the internet ain't always right. I just want to get the book. date of. I want to get the date of our card. You're fine. You take your time on that. It's just. I think it's August. Uh, I think it's August 8th. You take your time, George. We'll, we'll, uh, I like your background. Is that, uh, behind you there while you're looking that up? Is that Jack in the back on the white cowboy hat? Or is that somebody else? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, that's actually, uh, country, oh. country <laughs> hall of fame star, Hank Thompson. Okay. Well, there you go. See, from a distance, and, uh, it looks like Jack in the white cowboy hat. Yeah, from, and from I, here. Well, let's give a little story on this because I I I I I love country music, but Hank Thompson is one of my personal all time favorites. You can look him up; he's a Hall of Famer, Country Hall of Fame, <clears throat> innovator in the business with a lot of yeah. things that he did. That particular framed picture that you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, It's an album. It was the very first live album recorded at the Golden Nugget in Las Vegas. Ah, okay. And and Hank Thompson was the very first country star that they ever did a live album. So that's what that album is. There's a record on the album cover you see there. And then down in the one corner, I don't think you can see it very well, but I'm in a picture with him. Okay, uh, down in the far, yeah. It'd be on the right next to the fireplace there. Yep. Okay. I'm in the picture with him. And then there's a, a picture from the album next to that of him. All right. He, um, he was one of my favorites. And uh, but yeah. Right. So I like, okay. <laughs> sorry, right, we got to get this card. Here. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. All right. It was on July 25th. I told you it was in July. They teamed them up. So okay. July 25th of 70, they're on TV. And they have this match on live television. Mm-hmm. Our, our main event that night in Minneapolis was scheduled to be uh, Hennig and Race, or Hennig and Race, Hennig and uh, Lars Anderson against Pepper Gomez and Red Bastille. That was okay. going to be our main event. Well, they went and made a match on TV. Dr. X was livid that he got double teamed by Lanza and Heenan. And he comes out and he said, I want a match with these two right now. So they put the match on that night. So this wasn't <laughs> even in the program that we bought that night. The yeah. main event then became Lanza versus Dr. X. Yeah. And of course, Dr. X is cheered when he comes out. He's got his mask on. But fans didn't realize at the time that this was setting up Dr. X's demise from the territory. Well, (laughs) Lanza and Heenan actually double teamed him again. They actually unmasked him. But the doc pulled a towel over his face and he was all bloodied up. And 
the security guard and doc with the mat with the towel walk out of the run out of the arena. So he saved his, he wasn't identified. Yeah. So now they build this up and Jack is, they're building up Jack to be the top heel in, in the territory. So the following week, Dr. X comes out on TV, calls out Marty or with Marty O'Neill and he calls out Wally Carbo. He says, I want Carbo to come in here. And Carbo, you know, Wally played his usual part. You know, he could stammer and stumble a little bit, which was so good at how well he did it. Yeah. And the doc just put his finger right in Carbo's chest and he said, I want a match with Jack Lanza. Didn't call him Blackjack. He just said Jack Lanza. And Carbo says, well, I, you know, I don't know if I can put this match together and I don't know if Jack will agree. And uh, he says, Carbo, you're not listening to me. And he's poking him right in the chest. He says, you're not listening to me. And he shouted. He said, I want a match with Jack Lanza. And he said, let me tell you something, Carbo. For three years, you have put every wrestler you can think of in the ring against me to try and beat me, to try and get my mask. Now, I want a match with Lanza. Carbo, again, kind of, I don't know if I can do this, whatever. And he pokes him in the chest. And he says, I want a match with Lanza, and I'll give you my mask. I will take it off to get the match. Whoa. And, you know, Carbo goes, yo, what? <laughs> oh my gosh, you got yourself a match. And they made it. They made yeah. that match on TV. Yeah. So the arrangement was that Doc would unmask before the main event. Yeah. And he was going to wrestle without his mask to get that match with Lanza. That's how bad he wanted. He was willing to give up his mask. And he um He comes into the ring the following week, the main event in St. Paul. He stands in the ring. Dr. X comes in and he stands in his usual corner like this, you know, with his black. He had his black mask on yet that he was wearing as Dr. X. And he's in the uh, St. Paul promoter, Eddie Williams, came into the ring as well. Marty O'Neill came into the ring, the ring announcer. And they're going to... um, dropping papers all over the place here he comes in and he uh introduces to the fans marty o'neill he says fans i'm going to tell you a little bit about dr x he is a coach out of syracuse university had a great amateur wrestling career and his real name and this is the only city in the AWA that got this, his real name is Dick Byer. And Doc wow. took his mask off, handed it to promoter Eddie Williams. The referee did their instructions and Jack Lanza and Dick Byer wrestled. Wow. Uh, I don't know if you can catch this, but right there, is that, that is a picture. That is a picture that I took from that night of Dick Byer when he was coming near the ropes in the match with Lanza. Okay. And that was in my AWA record. So that was the only time that picture's ever been published, by the way, for those interested in that book. Otherwise, it's never been on the internet or anything. But that was it. Lanza beat him. Yeah. In the match. One, two, three. Dick Byer left. The following week, we had the results given on television and our next wrestling arena program made a comment. Where's Dr. X? You know, he disappeared. Will we ever hear from him again? They never mentioned Dick Byer ever again. He was still Dr. X. Yeah. And then that was it. After that program mentioned, um, he was gone, you know, out of out of sight, out of mind. But Lanza was now the new number one heel. And then he had a match with number one challenger on the babyface side, Edward Carpentier, who oh, they okay. touted as being a former world champion, even though he never was a WA champion. 
and he was never NWA champion. He had that clouded uh, title run after he long story, but he had a mess up with Luthez in 57 and some promoters yeah. had recognized Carpentier okay. as world champion. And we could go into detail on that on another story. You bet. So Lanza and Carpentier are going to have this elimination series of matches. The winner supposedly going to get Vern for the title and Lanza got his title matches and he was going against Vern. So that was his big push. Yeah. And then after that, we get into the 71 era and he starts feuding. Lanza starts feuding with the Crusher. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was a natural deal because no matter what heel ever came through AWA, eventually they were going to have a program with the Crusher. If no one else can beat him, we're going to give him the Crusher. The Crusher will take care of him. And the Crusher was the one in the early 70s. Um, he would call Bobby Heenan. Well, he called Blackjack Lanza Oil Can Harry. <laughs> now, did you ever watch the Mighty Mouse cartoons? Yeah, yeah, I did. You know who Mighty Mouse cartoon is? Yeah, yeah. His, his adversary in these cartoons was this dastardly black guy, black tap guy with the handlebar mustache, and it was Oil Can Harry. <laughs> so that's what Crusher called him. And then he was calling Bobby Heenan. Oh, my gosh, and it's escaping me. Was calling, he started, no, he started calling calling him goodnight Irene, calling him Irene, <laughs> you know, irritating him. So he was having matches with Lanza, with Heenan. They had handicap matches. Uh, a couple of times Lanza would team with Heenan against Crusher and a partner, you know. Sometimes Bull Belinsky was tossed in there. And, and uh, they ended up having a cage match, Lanza and Crusher and, so Lanza was getting a mega push. Yeah. And he went through this whole thing in 1971. Now, we're going to back up just a little bit now. During the course of 1970, as Lanza is becoming the, on the road to becoming the top heel, mm -hmm. is working with another younger rookie wrestler. And the rookie wrestler was, he had had some matches down in Texas with Joe Blanchard's territory, mm -hmm. but he was up here getting some real good training from Vern. And that guy's name was Bob Windham. Uh, so Bob Windham is working preliminary matches and doing a lot of referee. And uh, pretty much in the business about a year at this point. One of his frequent opponents, a um, couple of times on big arena shows, and then usually when they go to a small town, a spot show, a lot of times it was Lanza against Wyndham. Wow. So they were working together a lot. Yeah. Well, in 1971, uh, right before he went to the WWWF, mm -hmm. Bob Windham teamed up with Larry Hennig and they went to Japan. And there are some pictures out there of their team. Land, uh, he, Windham had grown a black mustache at that point. And he was wearing black trunks. He had a black tunic top on like Larry Hennig would wear. They were yeah. in Japan. and They actually won while they were in their little short trip to Japan together. They won the, uh, the Japanese IWA title, the international uh, tag team title. And when they do that over in Japan, they'd win it a week. And then maybe a week or two later, they would lose it back because they would be leaving. But it yeah. built up rematches. So Lanza and Arno Windham and Hennig had that title. Well, when Windham came back here, he immediately was gone. And it was Vince McMahon Sr. that brought him in to the WWWF in 1971, and he announced him as Blackjack Mulligan. Bob Windham was dead. Nobody yeah. ever heard from him again. And it was Vince Sr. that created the Mulligan character. But uh, Jack Lanza told the story later that before Bob Windham agreed 
to wrestle as Blackjack Mulligan, which is what Vince wanted. And he dressed him up the same as, you know, the black hat, the yeah. black vest, and the whole thing. He dressed him up the same way as Lanza. Yeah. Yeah. Really what Vince was, or yeah, what Vince Sr. was doing is he was copying Jack Lanza. Yeah. So Jack Lanza told the story later. He said that Bob had actually called him up and said, here's what they want me to do. And I, I'd like to do it, but I want your blessing to yeah. take the blackjack name. Is that, which he didn't have to do. I mean, there was no trademarks or anything. You, you know, yeah. there was nothing wrong with having three or four crushers in the business. And you could have blackjacks all over if you wanted. Yeah. Most of the time, fans wouldn't have known the difference because we didn't know what was going on in those other territories. Right. But Bob Wyndham did ask if that was okay and passed the torch to him. So it was Senior that created the Mulligan character. Okay. And Vince Senior liked to do that when he brought guys in. A lot like Vince Jr. did later on, he'd like to bring in guys and create a new identity for him rather than bring in the guy that was famous already. Right. In this case, Wyndham wasn't famous, but he didn't want to bring him in as Bob Wyndham. And Mulligan was brought in to challenge Pedro Morales, who was the um, then the WWF champion. champion. When, I, yeah. when I use all those W's for our listeners that don't know, it was the Worldwide Wrestling Federation yeah. up until 19, early 80s, 81, 82. Then mm -hmm. it, they dropped the wide. and It was just WWF, World Wrestling Federation, until today's modern day uh, World Wrestling Entertainment. Yeah. So, but that's how Mulligan came about. He was with Vince for about a year, Vince Sr. And then he went to Detroit, he was working for the uh, Sheep as Mulligan. And then Bruiser got him in Indianapolis. And that's when he had his biggest push, got that WWA title for a couple of years. Uh, or not Mulligan, he got, he got in there. And then hook him up with, that's when Bruiser hooked him up with Lanza, hooked okay. up the Blackjacks. And so was, that's how that came about. Yep. Bruiser. So the, okay. So they were in they were in the WWA as the Blackjacks. Then they took a trip to Texas. They were together down there, but they didn't wrestle a lot together as a team. Yeah. They were down in uh well, Texas at that point in time was run by Fritz von Erich. <clears throat> and they wrestled a lot of singles matches, but they seconded each other a lot. Okay. And uh, Lanza had a short, very short, I think it was about a week and a half, two week run with the America's title that he took from Fritz and then lost it back to Fritz. And when the Blackjacks came up here, they were working again for Bruiser. They would go into Chicago because Chicago was WWA and AWA city, the only okay. one. And those fans were blessed because they would get to see the talent from both groups yeah. on a regular basis. And, the, you know, the Blackjacks, most people will tell you that if you rank tag teams today, you want to make a list of all the great ones. Uh, the Blackjacks usually come up on the list as oh, yeah. deservingly they do. Then in 75, they went briefly to Vince as a team, the Blackjacks. Mm -hmm. This was still Vince Sr. And they held their tag team title, the WWWF tag team title for, uh, oh, I think it was maybe three or four months, five months without looking at the dates. Yeah. And uh, had that run there and then they were back with Bruiser. So they had a good run together. They did. They did. Um, you know, I knew Blackjack mainly in the AWA. Because when I was a kid, it was still the territory system. We didn't get all the other areas. The good old days. The good old days until the mid-80s when cable. And I can tell you, um, I can remember when Duncan and Lanza were the champions. And when they had those battles <laughs> with uh, the High Flyers. Right. Uh you know, you always, I would, every week, you know, it was a buildup 
But you'd be, I'd get so frustrated as a kid because when you'd watch it on TV once in a while, once in a, they'd be on once in a while as a team <laughs> together on the matches. And back then, you know, you didn't have pay per view and everything. So when the High Flyers had actually finally won the title from Duncan and uh, Lanza, it was in Canada. It was in, I believe, uh, yep, it was in Winnipeg. Winnipeg. In 77, July of 77. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't hear about it for a while until they put it on TV. Uh, but, you know, I really en- enjoyed, uh, watching him. Uh, he'd always make you want to watch the next week, the show. One of the, one of the things that, uh, Mulligan had, you know, Lanza and Mulligan had split up shortly before Lanza and Duncan got together. Mulligan wanted to do a little more traveling and he went down to Florida, which we know he made a huge mark down there for himself. And he was in the Mid-Atlantic Territory. So Mulligan was making his own name. And I remember when Lanza was hooked up with Duncan, um, I, was a little, I was a little disappointed in that because I wanted to see Lanza and Mulligan together. Yeah. And I hadn't had that opportunity at that point. I was, okay. you know, seeing him in the magazines. I'd seen him win the, the WWE. F title and I knew they were champs in Indiana WWA and I felt like God why can't we get Mulligan to come back you know I want Wyndham to come back Mm -hmm. but we ended up with Duncan now Duncan and Lanza were a good team and Vern drew well with them yeah a lot of the credit I don't care what anybody says a lot of the credit goes to Bobby Heenan in that instance oh yeah because you put anybody with Bobby Heenan and they were going to be good yeah. because of, of Heenan with his interference and his, his sarcasm and his arrogance. Yeah. And just, he was, he was the it factor to the team. Yeah. So Lanza and Duncan were really good and they did it. They had a good run against the high flyers there. Again, you have to have a good baby team against a good heel team. Yeah. Now, the thing that bothered me about the Lanza Duncan team, and this is just a personal opinion, okay? Right. If you go back to 19, between 1975 and 1978, so about a three-year period, four-year mm-hmm. period, we in the AWA were overrun with tag team wrestling, especially up until about uh, – 76, 77. We we had obviously the champs, Lanza and Duncan. And they were champs from July of 76 until July of 77. So they had a year run. Yeah. But we had the high flyers. We had in that time period, we had Baron Von Raschke and Mad Dog Vashad. We had Larry Hennig and Joe LaDuke as a team. Mm-hmm. We had the Valiant Brothers. We had Larry Hainemi and Buddy Wolf. We've got all of these teams. And obviously you got some makeshift teams along the way too. Right. You know, the crusher with different partners and different things. And there were, there were a couple of those teams that I would have rather seen get the tag team title that Lanza and Duncan got. And it wasn't that they were a bad team. It was just that there were a couple of teams that I, I thought, you know, they're not going to be champions because Vern is doing well with Lanza and Duncan, which bottom line, that's what it's all about. So there was no reason to take it off, but Hynemi and Wolf would have been great champs. Uh, They could have stuck Heenan with them and made them elite. The Valiants could have had a run. Although I have a theory on Valiance. Let's hear it. Um, And again, this is probably opinion. The Valiance, I think a lot of people expected were going to be AWA champions. And most people would agree they should have been. I I would say they'd have been fine. I I liked them as a team. Mm -hmm. But they didn't get it. And because, this is my theory, Vern was not going to put the title on them because they had already been WWA champions and they had been WWF champions. And Vern wasn't going to 
basically put over those other two groups by having the same champion. And Vern was good at not doing that. He didn't copy guys. Yeah. You know, he didn't want to copy champions. So I, that's what I think happened. And the Valiants, they got over here, but they weren't going to get the title. Yeah. But Lanza did well. And then uh, when Duncombe left the territory for a short bit in the, uh, in 77 to about 1978 or so, Bob Orton Jr. came in. And they played with him for a little bit. They were trying to figure out if they were going to use him as a baby or a, or a, a heel. Mm-hmm. He had actually teamed with Greg Gagne for a match. Oh, okay. Him and Greg actually wrestled each other, and Bob was playing the uh, kind of the heel. Yeah. Then Lanza came out, said he was going to take him over because he was lost. He didn't know where he was going, and I'm going to give him some direction, <laughs> which was great. And they had yeah. Lanza. And they had Lanza and Orton together for about a year. And, of course, they were not made eventing team at that time. They were mid-card. But Jack Lanza was always in our main events. As we get to the end, we, we get to the 80s, the mid-80s. Again, this is genius promoting. You get to that point where Jack is getting probably thinking about the end of his career. Yeah. And they come up with the idea where they're going to have him and Heenan split. So Heenan's going to be the one to turn it. Well, Jack's going to be the baby then. And one of the greatest, they had bunkhouse matches and they had, you know, Lanza was going to get even with him. and He had gotten in the way. And, and uh, so Lanza, was switched to he's still blackjack but he comes out in this all white outfit yeah. white yeah. hat white vest yeah. big old white feather hanging from yeah. the hat white trunks white boots it was beautiful yeah. and that's and then heenan was kicking and stomping because he thought he was making fun of him and, and uh, it was a great angle so they had yeah. some matches then they did something that was really cool so now we're in 1985 the war with Vince McMahon Jr. is going on, and Vern had lost some talent. Yeah. Like Jack Lanza is now a babyface, and he's having some trouble with the Heenan family, of which Nick Bockwinkle was part of. So Nick Bockwinkle says he's going to come up with a partner, and Bobby Heenan's going to come up with a partner, and it was going to be Lanza and... I should remember who his partner was. Lanza and Lanza and Crusher. Lanza and they kind of made up Lanza and Crusher against Bachwinkle and this surprise partner. Well, they show an interview on TV and they finally reveal who the partner is going to be. He's a bounty hunter. He's coming in. Jack Lanza, there's something wrong with your head. Something's going on in the Bobby Heenan family. He says, I'm going to team with Nick Bockwinkle and we're going to straighten you out. But the bounty hunter was Blackjack Mulligan. Ah. So Lanza is in the ring, in the corner with Crusher in their match against Bockwinkle and Mulligan. And Mulligan ends up teaming up, turning on Bachwinkle, teaming up with Lanza. And we had the Blackjacks for a real short run at the end. We saw them against uh, the Sheik's Army at the time. And uh, Abdullah the Butcher and Jerry Blackwell were their opponents. So that was kind of fun. But that was at the end of Jack's career. And then shortly after that, Jack got involved a little bit with the booking and the promoting up in Winnipeg, handling that office for the AWA. Uh, He and Wally Carbo were doing it. And then eventually he moved on to the WWE. Well, it was WWF still. Moved Mm -hmm. on to them as a road agent and his active career was over. So he had a, a tremendous run but a local boy who really never had to travel too far from home. 
Yeah. Uh, great wrestler. And you, you put me, I learned some things that I'm sure some fans that are listening to too. I didn't know he was from Minneapolis. I'm telling you Minneapolis or Minnesota uh, was the breeding ground back in the sixties, seventies and early eighties for yeah. wrestling pro wrestling. I mean, there's the who's who. And I didn't realize Jack Lanza. I really thought he was from Texas, to be honest with you. Well, that's, uh, you know, if you believe that, then that, yeah. that tells that they, they told the story yeah. correctly and they did it right. Yeah. I would have never guessed he was from Minneapolis. I had no clue. So, and I never knew him as, you know, cowboy Jack Lanza or Jack Lanza. Uh, prior, you know, I always knew him as Blackjack. He always had until he turned babyface when he wore the white gimmick. But I will tell you this: Jack Lanza was huge over big time in St. Louis. Yeah. St. Louis used to run. <coughs> excuse me. They used to run monthly cards, except for the summer. They usually used to take June and and July off, and then they'd have yeah. August through June. Uh, from 67 through about 1971 or 72, Jack Lanza was, you go back and look at the main events in St. Louis, he along with Bobby Heenan. And here's a story that's really interesting about St. Louis. Sam Muchnick never allowed wrestling managers to come to ringside with wrestlers. He never wanted wrestling. He didn't figure that wrestling managers should actually be out there. And Bobby Heenan was the only one he ever allowed to do that in St. Louis, but he was with Jack and Jack Lanza was, uh, uh, he was instrumental in St. Louis to also turning Dick the Bruiser babyface in St. Louis. The Bruiser had stayed All a right. heel in St. Louis. He had turned babyface in the AWA in 65. But everywhere else, he was still wrestling as a heel. And he was a heel in 1969. He and Lanza were partners. And guess Heenan got into it again and messed up. And Bruiser (laughs) wanted revenge. And the Bruiser became a good guy. And from there on out, was was one of the top babies in St. Louis as well. So Lanza played a part in that one as well. Great. uh, He was a great talent. He was was good. And any card he was on, um, he played a good part. Uh, he was fantastic, and he will be missed. Um, George, thank you for coming on today. Paying tribute to a paying tribute to a true wrestling legend, uh, Blackjack Lanza. Uh, our prayers go out to his family and his friends. And uh, with that, George, do you have any closing comments? I just say you always do a good job, and it's always fun being on your show. And let's do it again soon. But let's not we talk will. about somebody that just passed. We'll oh, it. yes. Yes, definitely. Thank you. And, folks, thank you for listening and watching. Happy holidays to you, and we'll talk to yes. you soon. Take care. All right.